The views and opinions expressed by guests on Connected do not necessarily reflect those of Side Street Studio Arts. Episodes may contain adult language. Uh, hello, welcome everyone to another episode of Connected, uh, the podcast from Side Street Studio Arts. I'm Yvette, Assistant Director, and joining me today is Stephanie Saylor. Saylor? Yes. Yep, Saylor. Yep. Yes. And um, you can introduce yourself if you... Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so hi. Yeah, my name is Stephanie Saylor. Um, so just to give, a, I guess, a little bit of background. Mm-hmm. So yes, I'm a sculptor and an artist. Um, and I also, from my day job, I work at Northern Illinois University as an instructor and also an academic advisor. Okay. So I'm working with students all day, every day. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like fun. I know. Um, um, so how you, you, just to let everyone know, you won uh, Best in Show I know. Uh, for our year nine. And um, so how was that? How did that feel like? Oh, fabulous. Oh my goodness. I have a, a fun little story to tell you because unfortunately I couldn't make it there on opening night because we were having a lot of car problems in our home. <laughs> and so that was just not going to happen. Um, so I actually, this week I was walking through the hallway and one of my past students came up and he's like, Oh, congratulations. I saw your piece in the show and congrats, congratulations on the award. And I'm like, what? And I was so surprised. I'm like, what, what are you talking about? I thought I heard something wrong. And he's like, yeah, you, you got an award. Didn't you know? I'm like, no. And that's when he said, I got best in show. And I'm like, what? <laughs> so I was extremely excited, extremely. So yeah, it felt fabulous. It felt great. Um, and so thank you to all the three jurors that uh, picked out the whole show, but then also felt that my piece was worthy of that, of that award. Like that was awesome. Yeah. yeah, Your piece was awesome too. I, uh, I actually had the opportunity to install it on the wall. So, um, I tried really hard to like duplicate what you, the picture that you saw. (laughs) (laughs) And I was even looking at the, at the little, um, like the, I called them like croissants because they were like the white fluffy things. I was like, okay, is that one the same croissant shape as that one? (laughs) And um, I think uh, whoever, one of the interns or one of the uh, assistant people that was there with me, they're like, I don't know if it matters so much. And we're like, okay, (laughs) but it looks, I think it looks great on that wall. And um, it does. Yes. Can you talk a little bit about how you came up with that piece or what your process is? I went on your website or I think it was your website and I saw like other pieces similar to it. So it's, uh, is this a recurring theme or? Um, Aspects are. Um, So yeah, when I'm thinking about this piece, I have to break it down into separate things. Like one would be the the meaning of this particular piece. And then the other part would be, inspiration, where it comes from, like where it was born from. And so to start there, 
I'm very much a sci-fi type of person. So when it comes to organic forms, I love everything that's strange and weird looking. And um, so when I first started making all of the weird tenderly type of things that you see in there, all the white fabric parts, it was born out of just the love of the form initially. And so I've, I've put those in some of my other pieces before this one. And it was the act of, again, kind of this tenderly type of form and then wrapping it with string that just kind of added more tension to it with its constriction, but also turned it into just something else and something um, completely sci-fi, otherworldly. Um, like I, totally love that stuff. And so that has been a big reoccurring theme in my work, whether it's indoor pieces like this, or if it's outdoor pieces, like I love to look at a lot of tiny things from our world, whether it's real things like seed pods or things from nature, um, or looking at what, what I would consider to be at this, the tiniest, tiniest scale. So I love looking at, um, electron microscope images of, you know, the, this tiny, tiny world that our eyes can't see, but that exist everywhere. And especially when I can just get lost by looking at them, like it's walking into another world. And so, and all the different living things you find in there, but also not become their own little sci-fi reality. So yeah, I'm already in love with that anyway. Um, and then when I was working on this piece, um, again, it started with just the, the obsession of playing with that form over and over and over again. And then, uh, it was right. I started it before the pandemic, but I kind of finished it during or aspects of it during and the meaning really began to change for me significantly because now I started looking at the small world, not only from like fascination and excitement, just interest into, oh my goodness, that small world is literally overtaking our scale in its entirety. You know, you've got COVID, a tiny little virus that's, that's brought down civilizations somewhat, you know, um, so that was really a mind shift of just how little power we have as humans in this world and how much power that the small things do. And so at that point, to look at those forms not only, um, in this sort of playful way, but also like smaller bacteria or other set or other smaller forms like that on that scale. And the title persistence of living was just that is sort of recognizing that every, um, every living thing has that desire to live and procreate and grow. We definitely do as humans. Um, but the same thing could be said at that smaller scale with the bacteria and viruses and so on. So, um, so yeah, it, it was, it's, it's part of a bigger trajectory of just my own fascination with things, but then also it became so incredibly relevant right now. Yeah. So that's the, the short version. So am I um, correct to assume that when I'm looking at it, it's like a magnified piece of a microscopic image? Kind of. Yeah. That's how I'm envisioning it. Yeah. Okay. It's like we're, we're getting a blown up version of mm -hmm. something that's uh, incredibly tiny that we would not be able to see otherwise. 
the title of it too um, made me think of surrealism, specifically that uh, the Dali uh, painting, The Persistence of Time, I think. Yeah, yeah. And, and I thought maybe it was uh, like connected in some way because I was looking at it and thinking maybe this is like a surrealistic image that I'm supposed to be looking at. But I think my favorite part about the piece was the juxtaposition of like the hard would wheel against the soft um, fabric texture. Uh, could you talk a little bit about that as well? Yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. um, so that is born out of, that goes farther back. So that, so my desire to play with different materials um, has been around ever since I started sculpture. Like I've, I've always fallen in love with one, a variety of materials working together and ones that you wouldn't necessarily associate that they could have a relationship, but they inevitably do. And I have, and another layer to that, I love the difference between hard and soft. Um, and from a material standpoint, it's just super interesting to have that reaction to um, see a piece in which parts of it you feel like you could almost hug or at least touch, you know, mm -hmm. and then other parts that are hard and pushing you away. So I always love that push pull relationship that materials can have with myself, but also the viewer. Um, and then at a more conceptual level, it, it also, I, I also do it because goodness gracious, like nothing is just one thing. Mm -hmm. Um, because in the past, some of my other pieces, um, even though they're wonderfully weird, they, I was using them as ways to talk about my own emotions and human experience. And, and so, yeah, like nothing is, is just one thing. And, and I like that relationship that there's always that push and pull, not just with material, but also with everything else in our lives. And then to take it back to the pandemic and like looking at these as though they're these small bacteria or, you know, li living creatures of some kind that I'm looking at. I have that desire and I'm being pulled in to learn more and I want to get enveloped in it because it's so interesting. But at the same time, I'm also not repelled by it. Maybe that's too extreme of a word, but I am pushed away from it because of fear of what it is or in the pandemic sense, how that could hurt you. So, um, so yeah, I love the combination of materials. I just, I can't help myself. I think it looks great. It, it's, it looks really fluffy, but at the same time, very sturdy. <laughs> um, it, yeah, it looks like, like, sturdy clouds <laughs> um, yeah, um, <laughs> um so are you um have you been making art your whole life or when did that start or um, oh, yeah good question um I've been making art my whole life if we want to think back to you know even being a kid and making mm -hmm. stuff like I remember um being an elementary kid and loving to draw. I was always drawing and I was always making oh. things out of paper. So I was building my own three-dimensional things at that point. But the moment where that just general interest turned into a career interest, like I want to do this as my thing happened more in college. Um, I was sort of I would say my, my parents were definitely, you know, pushing me to have a more traditional profession and something that was safe and all those things. So 
I did a variety of different majors in college before I finally switched over to art my junior year. That's when I finally let myself do it. So um, I stayed in undergrad for like a total of six years because I, I wanted to get my BFA and I got it actually in painting. And towards the end of that, I started taking sculpture classes and falling in love with objects and three-dimensional spaces and forms. And, and then I moved on and did my MFA in sculpture. So that's, yeah, kind of where it started and then how it continued to blossom. Yeah, that's, that's really cool. That's awesome. Um, yeah, I think I had a similar uh, pathway there, except that I was first generation to go to school. So my parents were just happy I was going. They were like, <laughs> I don't know what you're doing, but good job. But like towards the end of my college days, I got more into sculpture and I feel like that's where I would like to head in the future as well. Um, yeah. But it's interesting that you said that you started with painting. Um, have you, in your recent pieces, have you uh, incorporated your your training as a painter or is that something that you've moved past or is it something you do occasionally? Oh, I love that question. Mm -hmm. um, so much. And I have a couple of different answers. Um, one of them is there are some times in which I will incorporate some aspects of painting. Um, like there's a few pieces that I'm thinking of that I brought in uh, color through paint, but then also different ways of dealing with surface. Like there's a different piece that I made that actually was like a 3D printed piece, but instead of just leaving it plastic, I wanted to transform it. And so then I used layers of shoe polish to build up color and to build up um, a lot of really interesting textures. And so, yeah, I think that that color and the aspect of illusion, I do bring back in, which is definitely grounded in my painting experience of the past. Um, but the reason why I'm kind of, I was giggling about the question at the beginning is because my brain doesn't think in a linear way I've noticed, which sometimes is great and sometimes is not, but, um, but I'm constantly looking back at old sketchbooks and ideas that I had in the past and realizing like, oh, I missed that. I, you know, there was a particular thing I was working with and then I put it aside because it inevitably developed into something else, which is great, but there's still a nugget back in this old piece that I love and I want to come back to. Um, so yeah, I'm always thinking about that. And since I've been away from it for a while, um, I want to dive more back into drawing and painting, but then bring that back into my sculptural work as well. So yeah, I think it's always this wonderfully amorphous thing <laughs> as we're trying to figure out what, what is going to be the next step in our development. Aside from uh, fabric and, and uh, wood, what are other materials that you've worked with and what is one of your favorites? Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, so other materials that can really change based if we're talking on about outside or inside work. So I also do a lot of bigger outdoor sculptures and those are made out of metal. So I, I take flat metal and fabricate them into shapes. Um, and then for indoor work, that's when I can really play with other materials. So we've got fabric and wood, like you mentioned, I'll bring metal into that too. Um, 3D printing, um, felt. I'm in love with that. I want to do more with felt. Um, oh, I, oh, cast rubber, cast plastic. 
So yeah, any material that feels delicious, uh, especially in combination with whatever other material I might be playing with. So sometimes that can dictate it too. If there's a particular form that's starting off in one material, but it needs a companion, like it needs something else to go with it to feel done, then I'm looking for a material that somewhat harmonizes with it mm-hmm. um, to kind of bring music into this as an example. Um, but yeah, I really love to play around with so many different types of things. Clay, I totally forgot about clay. So, yeah. Yeah. um, I think it's really interesting that you use the word delicious to describe these materials because I, I, I was kind of thinking of like, uh, like the sense of touch with your, with your pieces. And I was thinking, um, you know, (laughs) food also has a texture to it. So um, it's just interesting to see what your textures or what delicious your textures would be. Um, so it, have you ever intended for um, the audience to touch your pieces? Because that was one of my uh, things that when I was putting up the piece, I was like trying not to like constantly <laughs> like smush in this fluffy part. But I'm like, oh my gosh, it's so soft. It's like, I can't, I don't know what it's like the intention of this is, but it's just, right. I, you know, especially working with kids, their compulsion is to just go and touch things, right? And I just, when I was looking at your piece and I was like trying to fight back that 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 um, compulsion within me, because it's just, it just looks visually very um, full of texture, but it's also not just visually, it's also textile. <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. Um, and I hear what you're saying. And I, and I, it's that wonderful divide between you've got this aspect of showing art in which we're supposed to make sure that the piece lives on forever, right? Or generally speaking. Mm-hmm. Um, and at the same time as makers, we touch it all the time. Like that's part of how we created it. So if someone were to touch my piece, I'm like, great, sure. like that would be, I'm not opposed to it because that's the relationship I have with it. Mm -hmm. Um, so I definitely understand the desire to do that. And yeah, I, I, I'm just remembering someone that I was working with, who's the gallery director and she was exceptionally careful and gentle with moving my pieces. Mm -hmm. And then I come in and I just like swoop it up, you know, and, and grab it just because that's what, when you're, when you've made it, you have, yeah, that different type of relationship with it. Um, so yeah, if I, if I saw someone touching my work, it'd be fine. I suppose with this particular piece, because it's white fabric, like don't go at it with black paint right. um, on your hands. Um, but otherwise, yeah, that's fine. I'm, yeah. I'm I, I've seen that too, where um, we're being super careful about putting something on a pedestal and then the artist just comes in manhandles it and I'm just like oh my god exactly (laughs) yeah yeah which Uh, actually is very sweet though like from the the perspective of those that are hanging it because they're trying to be completely respectful and that's that that, like I said that's there's a sweetness in that and there's a kindness in that which is lovely um and every artist will be a little bit different on how they feel about it too. I, I could easily imagine someone saying, no, don't touch my work. Uh, but yeah, for me, it's fine. It does. Mm-hmm. I don't mind. 
Well, I am glad to hear that. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Are you working on anything right now for the future or any plans of wanting to work on something? What, What do you have going on in your brain right now? Oh my goodness. I have so much in the brain. It's constipated. So, (laughs) you know, when you get to those points where there's too many ideas and not enough time in the day, you know, to get them done. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, like I have multiple thoughts, um, going off of this current piece, I just want to explode and make more of these crazy, bizarre, wonderful, tenderly things and, um, continue to see where those shapes and forms could manifest into. I desperately want to make a space where you could enter that is not just an object that we're looking at, but one that we become part of, that one will take a while. Um, And then I have other thoughts that have been rolling in my head as well. Um, I just bought some clay because I want to experience with the figure a little bit more again, because that was one of those areas that I used to do a long time ago and then sort of forgot about and left behind. And so I want to play with that and see how I could bring that back into my work. Um, and then one material that I totally forgot of, but I have an idea in my head is that, um, granted I haven't done very many of these, but I also love like cross-stitching and, um, embroidery and that type of thing. So there's a piece in mind that I have, that's a combination of that, but with clay. And so, yeah, there's so many different, places I want to experiment with in my head I love that I, I love that because you're like again you're talking about something that's like very malleable and and soft but you put it with clay <laughs> which um, <laughs> once it's once it's um put in the kiln it becomes very you know very very clay <laughs> right yeah. right so exactly. I, I, I love those two combinations and I I can't wait to see that in the future um Coming, going back to your piece that's in the show right now, uh, about how long does it take to put one of those together? I know there's different sizes and stuff, but um, mm. can you talk a little bit about like the technique and your practice that you've worked on and mastered to make <laughs> these pieces that are now on the wall? Um, thank you. Um thinking of the time, like I can't really pinpoint a time because different parts of it were made over a period. So, but I am one that kind of breaks things into chunks. So I started with getting as much fabric as I could. Um, and then, you know, cutting out the tenderly shapes and sewing them. And then I would go through a period of sewing all of them, or at least as much as I could in a batch. Um, and then I would go through this period Oh, Are so they sewn by hand or with the machine? No, with the machine. Oh, okay. yeah. Uh, oh, goodness. It would take me forever if I yeah. sewed them by hand. Um, but there's also a wonderful, well, both can be meditative. Mm-hmm. Like that's one thing I also tend to find are processes or materials that allow me to have more of a meditated time, um, experience. Like I, I, without trying, I find these things that I repeatedly will need to do in a piece because it frees my head. Um, while my hands are working, my brain can actually just float and think about whatever it needs to. Um, and I love those moments. So yeah. it's like, so free yeah, time. <laughs> You're right. Exactly. Exactly. My brain gets a break and then it can actually think creatively about other things. Um, but yeah, so I would, so 
if not all, a lot of them. And then I would go back and spend a while stuffing all of them <laughs> with, with um, filling. And then the next part would same thing, kind of go through the pile and then wrap them with the thread in order to make their really interesting shapes. So basically by the end of that, I would have this massive amount of just independent tendrils. And, um, and then once I had enough that I feel like I could actually play with, then I would go to the wheel shapes and actually start beginning to put them in there and, um, yeah. And slowly build up whatever that form looks like. Yeah. I, I couldn't do it one at a time. That would feel really weird. Uh, <laughs> I'm just thinking about other ways to do it. Yeah. I really like to do those bigger chunks of process and then move on to the next mm -hmm. chunk of process until I get to the end. But do you have a final vision of what it will look like when you start or is it, does that come as you're working on it? Yeah, that one's kind of a dance. Um, Cause many times I may have an initial idea or initial sketch, but I do not marry myself to it. Mm -hmm. Like that is a starting point. That's the place where the idea is being born. But then there's this whole other experience you have once you actually start working with the material, whether it's how the material is working mm -hmm. or how gravity is functioning um, or just how these different things work together or don't work together. Mm -hmm. So, so yeah, like I'll start off with an idea, but it will not look exactly the same. It will continue to grow as I go through. Mm -hmm. I'm also one that loves to test things. So there's times in which if I'm really tr trying to figure out a material, um, I may, might make multiple tests of different things I could do to it or different materials I might put on top because again, there's only so much you can see with your imagination that I need to also see it in person. Um, so yeah, it's kind of like this discovery process throughout mm -hmm. the piece, even though the end point will still echo where the beginning started. It just won't look exactly the same. Right. I feel like I'm very similar in that sense too, where I feel like I have an idea and I kind of just throw a dart and see if I try and get, get close to where the idea was. But I've met artists who have a vision in their head and they work until they get exactly what they thought of. And I think that's, that's amazing because my brain doesn't work like that. Um, but yeah. then I, I they kind of get um, like art block when they can't see their final vision. Um, so it, it's just always very interesting to see how artists um work on their stuff it's it's very interesting to me <laughs> oh extremely so like my husband is an artist as well um even though he like me has a day job too but and he works in a very different way just going off of what you said like he's very planned he's one that will plan like about 90 percent of the piece at the beginning. And then, so there's only a little bit he might tweak as he goes. And like, my brain can't follow that. Like, <laughs> like yeah. nope, that's not going to work for me. Um, so yeah, it's super interesting to see how we all come up with artistic ideas and then what type of development and evolution does it need to get or go through in order to finally get to its final destination. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Right. So uh, about how many or about how many tests did you have before you uh, ended with this 
like fluffy little worm cloud thing. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm trying to think back. So initially it was trying to find the right fabric. Mm-hmm. Um, because I wanted something that had a little bit of texture to it, but that wasn't overwhelming. And then I was also trying to decide, do I want color or not? And so I probably had like 10 different fabric samples that I was just experimenting with mm-hmm. to see if that would echo just the feeling I had in my head. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was one. And then I also went through this period of trying to decide, do I want something on the surface? Um, or do I want it to be just fabric? Because, oh, another material I like to play with is wax. Um, so I was like, well, do I want to play with that? Or do I want to add a different sort of like painting medium on top? Or um, so then I was, yeah, the next step was thinking about the surface. And in the end, even though I probably did somewhere between five to eight tests for that, I didn't like any of those. And so I, I just stuck with the, the fabric itself. Like that just seemed where I wanted it to be. Everything else was trying too hard and it was, and it was modifying, like you said, sort of the inviting cushiness feel of it. It was taking that away. So, um, yeah, those are so crucial for me to help me fine tune exactly where I want the material to go. That's, that's awesome. That's great. Um, so there's, uh, whenever I interview people, I always like to ask if there's any words that you have for an aspiring artist out there or a young artist who is starting their artistic, uh, career or journey. Uh, what would you have to say to them? Yeah. Um, the first thing that popped in the, in my mind was something I needed to hear when I was younger. Um, and I still do, I have to admit is the fact that not every work you make needs to be a masterpiece. Not every work is going to be amazing. Most are going to be crappy. You know, like (laughs) you're going, there's a certain amount of work that you're going to make that you'll just want to throw away at the end or just not ever see again because you've grown from that moment. And that's okay. And I remember when I first started, one thing that held me back um, from being an art major originally was I thought, well, I'm not good enough to do this. Um, I'm not talented enough. I'm not one of these masters that I can see in the art history book. That's not me. Um, And at the time I didn't sort of realize that, well, one, my path is different. Two, we're looking at these images of past artists that have been making work by maybe, you know, 30, 40 years before we see the image that happens to be in the history book. Um, There's a lot of work, there's a lot of time, and there's a lot of pieces that they probably despised when they were making work too, especially when you begin to um, read all the different articles about how how many times that painters are painting on top of images and all of the the work that they've been able to see of our past masters and all these different versions that they abandoned and went on to something else. So yeah, long story short, um, sorry, I'm talking a lot, is that, um, yeah, the biggest piece of advice I would give is that it's okay if you're not like amazing right now. It's okay if you happen to dislike a piece. Um, Sometimes the best feeling can be taking a piece that you worked on, but didn't turn out so great, but learned a, a lot from, but you're ready to just let go 
to either, you know, take it to the bonfire and watch it go. Um, like that's, it's really cathartic and it's part of the development of making pieces that are maybe not so great that can help you get to the point of making those pieces that are. Um, so yeah, I guess that would be my, my advice. Don't think that you have to be a master yet. That's not going to happen. Um, and it's okay to make not so great work as you're figuring things out, just learn from it and move on. Yeah. I think that's great advice. I mean, thinking from textbook masters, a, a person that I can think of who had a vastly different end point than when they started was Picasso, you know, when they started painting, it was very yeah. um, realistic, very traditional. And then they ended up with squares and triangles. <laughs> <laughs> right. Exactly. Yeah. Um, and so many artists that if we could go back and look at their whole life's work, we're going to see massive changes in the mm -hmm. development of their work. Um, not only in a stylistic way, but then also in just what they've learned along the way, you know, like, and they're also not necessarily going to show us the pieces that didn't turn out so well. Yeah, um, <laughs> exactly. We all, right. We all have a tendency to do that. We're yeah. like, oh, yeah, I'm not going to put that out in the world. No, mm -mm. thank you. Nope. Instagram uh -huh. is for the best pieces. <laughs> right, right. Exactly. exactly. Yeah. Um, and so we just have to remember that and give ourselves the allowance to just make work and keep going. Well, I really appreciate that. Um, as a fellow artist myself, um, I also like to work with different textures and I um, would like to make build more things in the future. So, um, yeah, it was really nice to talk to you. Thank you so much. Yeah, uh, absolutely. Thank you for inviting me. Yes. So uh, before I let you go, can you let us know where we can find you online and uh, how we can uh, see more of your artwork? Yeah, sure. Um, so even though I do have an Instagram account, I have to admit I'm very bad with it. Um, I need to get better at my social media presence. But so the best place to see a lot of my work would be on my website. So www dot stephanie sailor at excuse me dot com i almost gave you my email address because i <laughs> say it all um but yeah you can see uh, some of the pieces that i've done both inside in pieces and outdoor pieces and yeah thank you for again thank you for inviting me it's lovely yeah of course um come back anytime <laughs> Connected is a Side Street Studio Arts production. Music by Tanner Melvin. Produced by Nick Mataragas. To find out more about Connected and all the great things Side Street Studio Arts offers, please visit sidestreetstudioarts.org.